And so then, dear friends, in Christ's grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Peter writes his first letter, 1 Peter, as the name implies, to a very specific, <clears throat> excuse me, specific audience. Uh, he is writing to Jews who are um, a part of the diaspora who are living in Asia Minor. So some of you might not know exactly what that means. Uh, some of you might, because as I insert my, insert my uh, shameless plug here, uh, we've been going through 1 Peter on my uh, YouTube Bible series. And so some of you will know, and some of you might not know, that the diaspora is the dispersion of Jews from Jerusalem. So uh, a number of Jews have left Jerusalem. Uh, we hear of other Jews in Rome, as Paul writes the, the Jewish Christians in Rome. Now, Peter is writing to Jewish Christians of this diaspora in, in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He lifts off, lists off at the beginning of his letter a number of different towns um, where these people are enduring various sufferings. But yet, here is the important thing about these Jews. Is there... They're not like any other Jew in that they are Jewish Christians. They are those who have received Jesus as the Messiah. They still retain much of their Jewish culture and, and their identity as Jews, uh, observing the various holidays and festivals and things like that. But yet they have seen the promises of God and they have seen those promises of God fulfilled in Jesus. But this is a problem in the Roman world. Because when we have been given Jesus, we have been given the name that is above all names. We have been given the God that is above all gods. He is the greatest, the most high, the most supreme. But in the Roman world, there's a problem with that. And it's not because they're, they're people who have many gods like uh, Jupiter and, and all these different gods like that. that Well, they stole from the Greeks, but anyway. The problem is, is that... Caesar is the most high, is the most supreme in the Roman Empire. He is the one who should be given the most honor and respect. And because these Jews do not provide that honor and respect as is due to a God who is Caesar, they are suffering because of it. They're facing a great amount of persecution in, in many different ways. But yet when we read this letter from first P, the, this first letter from Peter, excuse me, Peter actually encourages them to suffer, which seems rather strange. First Peter chapter two, verse 19, as we read, "It's a gracious thing when mindful of God, when one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Suffering unjustly, gracious thing. Those should be very separate, Peter. You are out of your mind. But yet he continues and continues to encourage them in suffering. And while this seems bizarre, Peter is just continuing what we have already heard. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus himself tells us that we must deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. And it's so important that we understand what that means because very often we can kind of get kind of uh, cocky when we hear, take up your cross and follow Jesus. A soldier of the cross or something like that in our minds. But we must remember that the cross is not a good thing. It is an instrument of torture and death. 
And that while God used it for good things, it is a very evil thing. Because Jesus shows us just how evil it is as he takes up his cross and walks to Golgotha. Easter was just a couple of weeks ago when we watched the the events of Holy Week unfold, Monday, Thursday, where he is betrayed, arrested. Then on Good Friday, as we reflect on his, this continuing betrayal and the, the false witnesses who are at the trial trying to convict him of every false thing they can possibly think of, all of these just awful things. His hands and feet are pierced by nails, and he hangs upon this cursed tree. But this is what had to happen, suffering. The worst suffering possible, truly, happens on this cross with Christ taking all of the suffering in his flesh. We see our God do this, though, willingly do this, willingly suffer this terrible punishment. And it is one of the worst things because right now, as Christ suffers and dies on the cross, he is the focal point of all of the punishment and all of the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God comes because God himself has suffered. His heart has been broken as his world has been destroyed. As his creation falls apart, as his people abandon him and rebel, he is suffering too, seeing all of this happen. And while our hearts tremble in fear hearing the word God's wrath, We actually find comfort in it. It's all rather strange, isn't it? We find comfort in it because all of God's wrath is taken by God. Because God goes to the cross, God suffers and dies for us. God suffers the entirety of the punishment of sin. While he is fully innocent, he is also fully guilty as he takes our place. The role of suffering is extremely important. Because it is in the suffering of Christ, as Peter says, by his wounds we are healed. And while this seems just bizarre, as John tells us in his gospel, in him is life. In him is life. And even through this suffering and this death and this burial, the joy of Easter is that Christ is risen from the dead. He has suffered and endured all of this punishment and all of this suffering and pain, but now lives. Lives that we might live too. And then we start to watch his his followers. We start to watch them and see this movement grow out of these followers who have seen him risen from the grave. We see many joyous occasions as we read with Acts chapter 2 today. These people are gathering together in joy. They're they're doing remarkable and unreal things. Can you imagine our church? If we all gathered together in this church, well, of course, when we're able to, and we all sold everything, we sold everything and just lived in this church together. Well, people would probably call us communists, but... We all sat together and gave as we all had need. 
Can you imagine what that would look like? It's just, it's unreal. But yet these people have glad and generous hearts. They are praising God. They are having favor with all people. They are not suffering in Acts chapter 2. But suffering soon follows. We hear very soon afterwards that these, these men and these women suffer for following God and doing what he has called them to do. The apostles in the early chapters of the book of Acts are constantly beaten and sent on their way for healing, for proclaiming the gospel, which seems crazy to us. What, what's so bad about that? They're healing people. They're making them new. This is a good thing. Would you punish a doctor for, for healing somebody of, of something like cancer? No, we would, we would praise them. We would be so grateful for all of their work. But yet these apostles are being punished. It's bizarre, isn't it? But yet suffering is a part of this walk. Paul, we see throughout his, his, his work as, a, as an apostle, as a missionary, as a pastor, whatever role you want to see him in, we see Paul continually suffer. He is beaten he is left for dead. He is thrown out of towns. How often he is in prison, it's just unknown. So many times. But yet we hear of all these stories where even in the midst of chains, Paul is rejoicing. We hear of the one story where he is beaten, thrown out of town, left for dead, and he gets up and walks right back into town. Suffering is a natural part of this gospel proclamation, and they understand it. They know that they have to. In fact, we hear early in the book of Acts that when they suffer, they're actually glad because they've been counted good enough to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Because it's more important to them that they, they suffer than that they forsake the truth of God. And, and the suffering doesn't stop, does it? We hear it as it comes in more and more in, in future generations as these people are, are killed in absolutely brutal ways, burned alive, fed to animals. Peter, that we're hearing about, Peter historically is said to have been crucified upside down. This is the role of suffering that they understand. That it's more important to suffer for the sake of the gospel than forsake the truth. Now, we're talking about Good Shepherd Sunday, though. So why am I focusing on suffering? Well, as we look at Good Shepherd Sunday, Good Shepherd Sunday is a, always such a happy time where we reflect on these, these beautiful images throughout Scripture of the shepherd leading his flock, caring for it, defending it from the predators and all things like that. So you might be a little confused, wondering why I'm speaking about suffering when today we're supposed to be reflecting on the Good Shepherd. Well, and that's why we have things like Psalm 23, where we hear of the, the Lord who is the Shepherd. And while we hear it in the old King James, I shall not want, in modern-day English, what more do I need? The Lord is my Shepherd. But yet, verse 4 is important because suffering evil, dark things are still in the midst of being with our shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. 
I know that you are, are here with me. I know that you are walking alongside of me. I know, however, also that I will walk through dark, terrible places, that I will suffer evil in this life, but I take comfort because you are with me. You are there to protect me. Because we, we, real, we realistically know that the world that we walk in is passing away. We hear in Scripture of it groaning as in the pains of childbirth. We, we know that the world is suffering because we see it and feel it every day. We also know, though, that suffering is inevitable. And as I was thinking about this, it's not just inevitable, but it's good. See, suffering produces important things in us. If you don't fail, suffer, hurt, are you living? When you learn how to ride a bike, you have to fall down and scrape your knee a number of times before you find joy in riding a bike. I remember when I first learned, I went down a hill on a gravel road and tore up my entire arm because I fell off my bike. But I still know how to ride a bike, and I still enjoy it. Even in, in school, you have to fail. You have to fail so that you learn how to do things correctly. When you learn, failing is naturally a part of things. And in failure, there is suffering. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be mental, but there is still suffering. And see, this is a good thing because it grows us, it builds us up, it improves us. And what is even greater than all of that, as God uses that evil to build us up and make us better, God also is walking alongside of us in all of it. This good shepherd is always there with us. And not only that, by Christ taking on our human flesh, he knows what it means to suffer. And I don't just mean on the cross, but even just in daily life, where we hear his heartbreak as he weeps over Jerusalem, as, as he sees the pain that people are dealing with and heals them, as he frustratingly deals with a rebellious nation who just will not listen. He knows what it means. And that's important, especially as he promises to always be with us, to never abandon us. And what's so wonderful about this is that as we read this um, lesson from John 10, with him being our, our shepherd and, and the gate to the fold, that we enter into this herd through what he has done. He is the one who allows us in. And it's not like we have to do anything or, or suffer, especially in specific ways. We are welcomed into this herd, this flock of sheep, simply through his generosity and grace. He is the true shepherd. And what's also important about him is that he does not lie to you about the trials that you, are face, that you will face, about the suffering, Right? The false shepherds do. There are those out there that are just thieves. They, they lie to you. And this isn't just a metaphor. This is, this is happening. 
where people are, in this day and age, where people are receiving stimulus checks to help them and their families, there are those saying that you need to give me that stimulus check. You don't, your family doesn't need it. I need it. These are the thieves. These are the liars who are trying to take advantage of those. Can you imagine that mentality? And what's heartbreaking is it's, it's preachers, it's fellow Christians who are doing this. False shepherds. And while this is nothing new, it's still heartbreaking. The thieves are there. They're, they're, they're trying to, to get their way into the, the flock and get everything out of it, promising all these things, that if you do all of these things, all of these good things will come to you. But the true shepherd comes being truthful and bringing life. In truth, he tells you, you will suffer. You will deal with horrible things. But yet, this is not the end. Life is waiting for you, and it is abundant life. It is eternal life. It is a life of perfection given to all who believe. But yet, I'm not sugarcoating things so that you think that this is going to happen right now. You're going to have to deal with things right now. You're going to have to bear your cross and, and walk this, this road that is at times very shameful. But it leads us to grow to appreciate and understand what's going on. It's a life that sees suffering and while not enjoying it, understands it. Understands why this is happening. Understands that while walking in this life and seeing this suffering, that there is always someone there right beside us. Our good shepherd, Christ our Lord, who is there knowing fully what we're going through and having the power to carry us through it all. It's not like these thieves who make these empty promises, who preach all of these things, but yet... When people are truly in need, they, they fly away in their expensive jets to their multi-million dollar homes. We even hear of them who close their doors when disaster strikes. The thieves are not the ones to listen to and follow. And we know this. The sheep who belong to the true shepherd know this. We know what the true voice of the shepherd sounds like. Because he tends to our needs and we follow him. He is true. He is trustworthy. He doesn't lie to you. He informs you that suffering will come, but yet he also promises perfection. He tells you to take up your cross and to follow him, knowing that you yourself will have to suffer on that cross. But he also reminds you that you will not be left or forsaken. That your suffering is not given to you so, it, so that you will pay for your sins. So that it will make you actually receive this eternal life. He gives it to you freely and abundantly. But reminds you that in a world of sin, this still comes. So understand, brothers and sisters. In this life and in this time, you may be suffering. From isolation and quarantine, you might be going crazy, getting cabin fever. 
You might be terribly lonely. You might be suffering from other things. It might be sickness. It could be physical, mental, emotional, something along those lines. It could be anything. It could be a suffering of, of something completely out of your control, like suffering the loss of a loved one, suffering the loss of your job, struggling to find ways to, to pay your bills and to make ends meet. But I want you to know and to understand that regardless of the kind of suffering that you are dealing with, the Good Shepherd is right there with you. That as you walk through those dark valleys, the rod and staff of the Good Shepherd is right next to you. With him holding it firmly in his hand as he promises not to abandon you, but to lead you to eternal life. This is the joy of the Good Shepherd. That by his suffering we have been brought into the flock. And as we continually walk in this life, the Good Shepherd continually watches over us. Amen, brothers and sisters.